We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to another episode of the Top Dogs Podcast here on the Field of 68 Media Network. My name is Rob Doster, and we got to talk about that game last night in Omaha. Creighton 85, UConn 66 is the first time in the history of the Creighton basketball program that they have beaten the number one team in America. Um, A thoroughly impressive performance uh, from the Blue Jays last night. I, I don't know if there is really much else to say beyond that. Uh, I want to talk through what they were doing defensively. I definitely want to talk through some of the issues that UConn had defensively as well. Um, And we got to talk about uh, our lovable coach having a little interaction with the fans and the crowd at uh, Creighton and the students. So we're going to get into all that. I'm also at the end of this episode, I'm going to drop in a 15 minute segment that we did uh, on on the Creighton win last night on After Dark with John Fanta and John Henson and myself. I thought it was an interesting conversation. There's a little bit more perspective. That's not just me sitting here staring into a camera and talking, so I think that that would be worth it for uh, you guys to see and you guys to listen to. As always, if you do enjoy this pod, if you do enjoy this content, rate, review, subscribe, like, share, do all of those things that make me happy as a podcaster. Uh, This is the best way to help support the channel and support the podcast um, if you do enjoy the content. Just interact with it. That's really all I can ask. All right, let's talk about uh, what happened last night. So first, I want to get into what UConn um, dealt with on the offensive end of the floor and what Creighton was doing defensively. I put together an X's and O's breakdown of this up on um, Twitter and up on YouTube and up on Instagram and TikTok. It's on all of our platforms. But um, if you want to go kind of see this visually, you can go check it out. But basically what Creighton did on the defensive end of the floor um, was different than what we normally see uh, teams do against UConn, right? Generally speaking, what we've seen uh, teams try to do is switch everything and take UConn out of what they want to run and basically just don't let them run offense, right? Don't let them get over screens. Don't let them find a way to get an advantage coming off of those screens. Basically try to take them out of everything they want to do. That's what a switching defense does. And when you switch one through four, um, it puts you in a situation where you have to kind of play one-on-one. Right. Everything that you do is going to come down to can you beat a guy in a mismatch? And what defenses are doing is basically betting that their 
defenders in a switch are going to be better than UConn's players going against them. Like they can win with a four man guarding a point guard. They can win with, win with a three uh, guarding a, a two or something like that. So um, that's kind of what the, the plan is when it comes to switching defense. Creighton did. I don't want to know if you would necessarily call it the exact opposite, but their plan was to essentially turn all screens, um, whether it was on the ball or off the ball, uh, into a situation where they can kind of tr- play that drop coverage that makes them so good with Cal Brenner. So um, every single screen that UConn ran, Creighton went over. And what I mean by over is it means that you trail the guy going over the, that's coming off of the screen, which means that their only option is to, if it's an off-ball screen, curl it, or if it's an on-ball screen, kind of snake it and get back into the lane. Um they were running UConn off of the three-point line. There's a reason Cam Spencer only got two looks from three. There's a reason Alex Caravan only got that one really clean look uh, early on in the first half from beyond the arc. And um, they basically said, what we're going to do is allow you to have your guys go to the rim and try to finish over Ryan Kalkbrenner. Um, you're going to go to the basket, and you're going to be able to get those little 12-foot pull-ups in the lane. And if you're going to beat us with a bunch of 12-foot midi pull-ups um, – then you're going to have a very good uh, chance to end up winning this basketball game. Ryan Kalkbrenner is the defensive player of the year in the Big East for back-to-back seasons uh, for a reason. Um, he is as good, if not better, than Donovan Klingon playing drop coverage. Uh, and I do think that he's a little bit bigger and a little bit more physical. And uh, with the added impact that um, Donovan Klingon is not as much of an offensive threat, I just think it makes it... Uh, it's the it's a really smart way to play when you have a guy like Ryan Kalkbrenner at the rim, and it was really really effective. Uh, UConn couldn't get much going, um, frustrated them a little bit. I think towards the end of the first half, uh, then when Klingon was sitting out, Creighton kind of got it going a little bit offensively, and all of a sudden you look up and you got twenty nine points heading into halftime. And the other team, um, you know, had a string where they hit six straight threes. They were eight for thirteen from three in the first half, and. All of a sudden, you're down by 14 on the road against a team that is a top 15 team in America that has 18,000 crazy fans cheering them on, uh, and that is probably not going to end up blowing that lead. So uh, it was a really, really smart defensive game plan. It is not anything that UConn was surprised by. It is not something that uh, is um, abnormal for – I don't know why that was such a – I keep wanting to say unnormal. That was abnormal for what – Creighton wants to do defensively. They kind of emphasize it a little more and exaggerate it a little bit more, but this is basically what you expect when you play Creighton, especially if you're UConn. And there's a reason why UConn has kind of struggled with Creighton in the Ryan Kalkbrenner era. And it's because that uh, what they do defensively um, matches up really well with what UConn wants to do on the offensive end of the floor. So um, part of this was a tough matchup. And I think that Creighton, uh, you know, it's, it was the same tough matchup that we saw in stores earlier, and UConn played great, especially defensively, and Creighton did not really get it going on the offensive end of the floor in that game. So um, that's part of what happened here. The other part was on the defensive end, and I kind of want to talk through what UConn was doing there because um, I saw a lot of complaints about UConn players losing their men defensively, getting lost in rotations defensively. Uh, getting stuck on an island defensively, getting stuck on switches. Um, A lot of that happened after Donovan Klingon picked up his second foul towards the end of the first half. And some of it happened when Klingon was on the floor. Um, But when when you are playing 
that hedging ball screen defense that Samson Johnson does when he's on the floor, that UConn does with Alex Caravan when he was kind of forced into some minutes playing the five last night. What happens is you send two guys at the ball, right? Then one of the weak side players has to go and tag the roller, which means he is heading into the paint to make sure that there is not an easy pass from the guy coming off the ball screen to Ryan Kalkbrenner roll, rolling to the rim. What that means is that you have uh, a situation where it's either two on one on the backside with somebody zoning up defensively, or it's three on two somewhere else on the floor. If you're doing an open side ball screen, um, you have an extra man. If you're the offensive player in that situation. And when you are a good passing team with four guys on the perimeter around your big man that can shoot it, it becomes very difficult to guard a ball screen when you are hedging hard. And what we saw Creighton do was really effectively move the ball quickly, attack closeouts, attack gaps, and kind of get UConn in a situation where they were in a scramble mode. Uh, the rotations weren't as crisp as they normally are, and since Peyton is such a good passing team with so many good shooters, they got a bunch of open looks. And when you get a bunch of open looks and you get hot and all of a sudden you rip off six in a row, which is something Creighton is very capable of doing, you end up getting that avalanche where all of a sudden it goes from being 11-3 UConn to um, I think at one point it was like – they were up by 17, I want to say, in the first half. So uh, it was a combination of um, a little bit of tough luck with with Klingon getting his second foul. I thought the first one was definitely a foul. Um, the second one, the first look that I had at it, I initially thought that was very clearly an offensive foul. I saw a replay from a different angle, and it seemed like that was something that uh, wasn't necessarily called the rest of the game, so I don't know if it necessarily had to be called there, but I think by the letter of the law, um, it probably was an offensive foul, but I would understand UConn's frustration and Danny Hurley's frustration that that was, uh, in that situation, that screen was the second foul on the guy that is so important to them um, defensively. Uh, I just... I thought that it kind of was what it was on that end of the floor for UConn, and there's nights where you just run into a buzzsaw. And I think that they ran into the buzzsaw. It was not an ideal situation from a matchup perspective. Uh, they got a little bit unlucky with the whistles, and all of a sudden the avalanche hit. Steven Ashworth ripped off three straight threes. Uh, Jason Green hit a couple of threes. Francisco Farabello hit two in a row. When Once they were on fire, they weren't missing, and it, just, it was one of those nights. Um, and to me, it said more about – uh, what Creighton is and what Creighton can be when they play their best as opposed to what UConn is and some of the struggles that they have. Like, I don't think that we saw anything from UConn that was different from what is already concerning us about UConn, if that makes sense, right? We know that um, Donovan Clayton can get into foul trouble. We know that uh, if you are able to um, move the ball quickly with four shooters against a center that is hedging hard, it's going to be difficult to guard that. Like there's a reason why NBA teams all go to drop coverage and now why you never see NBA teams uh, hedge hard like that. The good offensive teams can just shred that kind of a defense. So that's what Creighton is. Um, I don't think we learned anything new there. I don't think we learned anything uh, when Creighton was a very, very good defensive team when they are funneling everything to Ryan Kalkbrenner. That's what they do. That's why they've been uh, a top 15 defense for the last couple of years with him in the middle. And, you know, it's they are very, very good on that end of the floor when they are locked in and they're playing like that. So uh, for my money, I think that this was just this was a situation where you have UConn coming off of a huge win, going on the road to a different time zone 
on what ends up being like a three and a half or a four hour flight um, playing in a road environment that was absolutely raucous against a team that really needed this win that uh, is pissed off that they weren't in the committee's top 16 reveal and it showed up. You kind of looked like a road team uh, that had a little bit of a Marquette hangover and Creighton looked like a team that came out with a point to prove. And sometimes that happens when you're on the road. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world uh, at this point in the season that you get your ass kicked and you get a little bit of a wake-up call. Uh, and yeah, it is what it is. Losses like this happen. It's the reason why the road is such a tough place to win in college basketball. I do want to push back on one thing, though. Um, John Henson last night said this was the kind of game where you just burn the tape and move on. I don't think you necessarily burn the tape because I think that there are a lot of teaching points that can come out of what UConn did. Uh, especially on the defensive end of the floor when it comes to rotations, especially when it comes to maybe some of the decisions when it comes with with fouling and, uh, you know, Klingon once again getting himself in foul trouble. And I think that offensively there's definitely stuff that you can learn about um, running offense against a team that's going to defend that way. But I will say this, there's not a lot of teams that have guys like Ryan Kalkbrenner. You know, that it's – this is a very effective way at kind of stifling what UConn wants to do uh, on the offensive end and also exploiting what they do on the defensive end. But, I mean, how many teams in America have a dude that is as good defensively as uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner is and that has as many good quality effective passers and shooters on the offensive end of the floor? There just aren't that many teams that are built that way. So, um, let's just hope we don't see one of them in March, right? Uh, but, yeah, I think that there's a lot of, of – of, things that you can take away and learn from this on the offensive end of the floor. So hopefully they don't just burn the tape and they watch a little bit of it. Um, but the biggest thing is this, like we knew losses were coming. We've been saying losses were coming. Every single person uh, on Utah Twitter, I think kind of expected that in this stretch of games at the end of the year, a couple of losses were coming. I would be shocked if this was the last time that UConn lost uh, in the regular season with a trip to Providence and a trip to Marquette left on their schedule, especially the trip to Marquette. Um, but with the way that it kind of breaks down right now, you have Villanova at home on Saturday. You have Seton Hall at home next week. And if you win those two games, you guarantee yourself a share of first place uh, and a share of the Big Ten regular season title. Um, and if Marquette happens to lose one more along the way, then you win those two games and you have yourself an outright Big East regular season title before you have to go play two games on the road at Providence um, and at Marquette. So uh, it's not the worst place to be in. It's not the worst situation to be in. Sometimes you need a little bit of a wake-up call, and if it comes, if you're going to take a loss, you might as well take an ass-kicking where you didn't necessarily play the worst basketball that you've ever played. Like I said this on the show last night, I don't think that – the, I don't think UConn was 19 points worse than Creighton in terms of how they executed offensively and how they executed defensively. I just think that Creighton got hot, and you know if you're going to make 14 to 28 from three, uh, that's you're going to win a lot of basketball games. So it just kind of is what it is. Um, I do want to touch on real quick before we move on here. The interaction that Dan Hurley had with the the student, I think we all have kind of seen this video that's been making the rounds where uh, he was walking off the floor and um, said, I will, someone said something to him. He responded by looking at them and said, I will knock you out. Um, uh, look, obviously he can't be doing that. You know, you gotta, if you are Dan Hurley and you are the coach of the number one team in the country, you cannot let fans, uh, 
fans bother you. You cannot respond to fans. You cannot say that. You know, every single person has uh, a an HD camera sitting right there in their pocket and are looking for a reason to be able to kind of egg you on and get you in trouble because they know that you are the kind of person that's going to end up reacting, right? Like it just, we know what they're trying to do. We know what fans are trying to do. And, and uh, UConn fans are not immune of doing the same thing, right? Like there's the part of the reason why road environments in college basketball are so difficult is because you got a bunch of uh, intoxicated 19 to 22 year old college students that are screaming the most ridiculous stuff at people. Right. And I, there is something to be said about uh, the idea that fans and UConn fans get included in this as well, are able to say whatever they want to players and coaches without expecting any kind of repercussion. Um, and I don't I mean, look, sometimes you, you probably shouldn't be running your mouth all the time that much if you are a fan. But at the same time, like you got to be able to expect it. Dan's been around long enough that uh, he has to know that he can't do that. He's got to be better. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we came out and next time he had a media availability, he had some kind of hey, I just want to apologize. I'll let my emotions get the best of me. Um, I can't be doing that. I can't be re uh, reacting like that. I'll work to be better. And then move on um, based off of everything that happened on on last night. So that would not be the most shocking thing in the world to me. But I also don't think it's that big of a deal. You got a guy from Jersey City who is emotional and passionate and uh, wears his emotions on his sleeve for the better and for the worse. And um, when he when someone's going to come at him, he is going to clap back and he is going to react. Uh, it's maybe not the the healthiest thing in the world and maybe not the best thing in the world and definitely not the best look in the world. But that mentality, that, uh, that fighter mentality, that living on a razor's edge, that is, that, that is why he is who he is. That is why he has been so successful as a coach. That is why he is the coach of the number one team in America and a reigning national champion. And, uh, at some point you kind of just have to take the good with the bad when it comes with it. Um, you know, Hopefully he apologizes. Hopefully somebody kind of says, hey, man, come on. Like, we can't be doing this. You're you're better than this. You're above it. Um, and then everybody moves on. It is what it is. I don't think that you could take too much out of it. It'd be a different story if he actually went into the stand. It's another thing when uh, you're kind of walking by, someone says something to you and just respond with, I'll knock you out if you come down here. Right? It is what it is. It's uh, what people don't realize in the Midwest is saying you're going to knock someone out, I think is actually a term of endearment. In the northeast so um yeah that's all i got it's uh i don't think there's really too much to take away um we got villanova on saturday i told john henson this last night i think that with game day there a night game um a day where the people of stores are going to be able to uh, have beverages for most of the day a late tip coming off of that loss and two days of practice uh, before Saturday's game. Um, I don't even know if the Lakers could walk into Gamble Pavilion and pick up a win on Saturday. So hopefully that ends up being like a 20-point beatdown. We can get right back on track. And, um, uh, yeah, the uh, season continues to roll along. A lot still left to play for. Positive vibes only here on the Field of 68 Top Dogs podcast. Uh, we're going to hear a quick message from our sponsors. And when we get back from that, it's going to be me, John Fanta, and John Henson breaking down what we saw in the moment last night on the Field of 68 After Dark. See you guys next week. What's going on, everybody? Rob Doster here from the Field of 68. And I need to tell you about a partnership that we just signed with Autograph, a fandom company co-founded by the GOAT himself, Tom Brady. Brady in the gun. Touchdown, yeah. Patriots! I can't deal with my clogged Twitter feed anymore. Every single tweet gets three responses from some 
Twitter bot promoting gambling picks. I just want to read the articles, man. I just want to read stories. I just want to listen to my favorite podcast. I just want to consume the content that breaks down my favorite college basketball team. And I want to do it all in one place. Now I can with the new autograph rewarding fandom app. That place exists. And here's the best part about it. The more content you consume about your favorite team and the more reward points that I rack up, the better my chances are going to be to score one-of-a-kind fan merch, discounted tickets to games, or other awesome items and experiences on the Autograph app. So go download it. Use that referral code F68. That's F68 and get access today. Hey, if you do, maybe I'll get my buddy Tom to send you a thank you note. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for the listeners and the viewers of the Field of 68 each and every week of the college basketball season. We have a special offer that will be available starting on Tuesday, January 9th, and running through Monday, February 12th, the morning after Super Bowl 58. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, in honor of the big game, you can use the bonus code FIELD158 and you'll get $158 in free bets on your first wager with BetMGM, regardless of whether or not you win that first bet. Here's how you make it work. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD158. Deposit at least $5 and place your first wager on any game. You'll receive $158 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just make sure that you use that bonus code FIELD158 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly, which happens quite a bit. 
When you cross state borders, you just log into your existing account and fire away. You don't have to create separate accounts in each state. It's easy, it's simple, it's clean. And most importantly, we have some fun stuff coming up for the heart of the college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops, odd boosts, and my favorite, a nice juicy parlay boost. So download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Field 158. Welcome to the Field of 68 After Dark. On this Tuesday night, number one goes down. That is where we begin. Final score, number 15, Creighton, 85. Number one, Connecticut, 66. I'm John Fanta. We've got John Henson here tonight. We've got Rob Dalster here tonight. So let's get right into it, gentlemen. Connecticut's 14-game winning streak is over. First loss since Seton Hall on December 20th. The Creighton Blue Jays. Beat number one for the first time in program history. Just another milestone for Greg McDermott. And Creighton moves to 2-20 and 20 all time against top three teams. Hey, good news for you, UConn fans. The last time Creighton beat a top three team, February 2018, they beat Villanova. Villanova went on to win the national championship. So, Rob Doster, what is your immediate reaction to the Creighton Blue Jays handing the Connecticut Huskies only their third loss of the season? Uh, I was so, so, so impressed with what Creighton did defensively. I think everyone's going to talk about, uh, you know, Stephen Ashworth and the threes that they hit and the stuff that they were running and, and putting up 85 points on a UConn team that for the last two months has been a top three defense in college basketball, according to uh, to Bart Torvik. Uh, but I, I just what what Creighton was able to do to mess up what UConn was running offensively is not something that you see very often, right? I think we kind of know it at this point. It's such an intricate offense and there's so many different actions and so many different movements and so many different ways that they can create uh, shots out of what they do. There's counters to their counters to their counters. It's very, very difficult to guard. And Creighton did an unbelievable job at running them off of the three-point line. Basically what the, the defensive plan was is you're going to go every go over every single screen. You're not going to let UConn get any shots at a three. You're going to try to funnel them towards the rim, and you're basically going to say, go ahead, we got Ryan Kalkbrenner at the bucket. Go try to figure out how to score over him. And they did a fantastic job executing that. UConn looked lost for about the first – coming out of like the, the – about the, the under-16 timeout in the first half – through about the under-16 timeout of the second half, UConn just had, looked like they had no idea what they were doing. And it is so rare to see a UConn offense look like that. Credit to Creighton, man. When you're when they're going to defend like that, and then they're going to also make 12 of the first 23s, I don't know how you beat them in that building. Henson, what happened? You know, um, I liken this to like a buzzsaw, right? Like, <laughs> yes, UConn could have played better. Yes, Creighton was ready. Um, but at the end of the day, 14 for 28 for three. Like Rob said, the defensive game plan was done to a T. UConn started off this game 7-0, right? Like it wasn't like it, it wasn't like it was just from the jump, right? Like it looked a little shaky early on, but they settled in and and the threes were the difference maker in this game. And and I even credit UConn to even scrapping back to get it to 10 points with four minutes left. Like that just showed me how good they are. Like this, everything's going wrong. Nothing can go right yet. It's a 10 point game with four minutes left. If they get a stop at that position and score a two or three pointer, you know, we, we've got a bit of a ball game. So um, credit to Creighton. This was kind of a long time coming. Uh, 
and, and UConn struggles to win in Omaha for some odd reason. But um, I don't think it changes my stance on the Huskies. 24-3, and 14-2. Um, they still are who they are. This is a game that when I was playing, we, we coach would come to the locker room and say, look, tough game, bad game. We're going to throw the tape out. We're not even going to worry about this game. Let's go to practice and focus on the next opponent. And I think UConn will be fine. Yeah, John, I just want to add something real quick to that. I think Creighton, and we talked about this before the last time that these two teams played, Creighton and UConn are very similar in that uh, they don't have a ton of creativity one-on-one, and a lot of what they do offensively is out of running their sets and being creative and taking advantage of Dan Hurley and Luke Murray and the offense they put together and taking advantage of Greg McDermott and some of the really cool stuff that he runs and the really intricate offense that they run. And the way to be able to... Uh, beat these teams, both of them, is to be able to mess up what they do. You got to be disruptive defensively. You can't let them just kind of stand there and not have the ball pressure and be able to run their offense and run these screens and get these different actions and be able to get open shooters running into a three. And that's what UConn did. The other part, Donovan Klingon picked up two fouls five minutes into the game. They bring in Samson Johnson. We talk all, all the time about how they run the different ball screen defenses, right? When Samson Johnson hedges hard, uh, I think Creighton has too many passers. you got to tag the roller. All of a sudden, you're playing two-on-one on the weak side, and Creighton has too many good passers. And once they started getting some open threes and they saw a couple go down, I think they hit nine straight shots and six straight threes in like an eight-minute stretch in the second half. And, um, yeah, I mean, credit to them. What they did offensively was was – uh, was was too good for UConn. UConn wasn't able to disrupt them, wasn't able to disrupt their set. Creighton was, and that's why we saw what we saw tonight. It was a really, really, really impressive performance from Creighton. We will I was, have- was going to add to that too, Rob. I was yeah. going to say, I actually was sitting there thinking like, <laughs> Creighton looks like UConn offensively right now. Mm-hmm. How the ball was popping. There's energy in the ball. There's continuity. So, um they ran up against a Creighton team that's ready tonight. Um, if they see them again, I'd be worried. I hope Creighton doesn't – I hope they don't have to see them again because UConn might have revenge on their minds and it might get ugly. Well, around three in New York City and Madison Square Garden in a little over three weeks would be absolutely delightful. I did the first meeting between these two teams in stores, and UConn punked Creighton in that game. Creighton scored 48 points in that first game. 48 in the entirety of the game. They hit 48 early in the second half tonight. And I think this comes down to three things. Number one, if you allow Cam Spencer or Alex Caravan to get cooking from the perimeter, you are in for a very long night because Newton's the head of this snake and Klingon on the interior, foul trouble or not, at some point he's going to make an impact. And he did when Connecticut went on their second half surge. Creighton took away. Alex Caravan and Cam Spencer's explosive ability tonight. They held the duo to 5 of 15 from the floor. 5 of 15 from the floor. John, you said that that this was a mirror from the first game. Well, in the first meeting between these two teams, UConn held Shireman and Alexander to a combined 6 for 23 from the floor. So I, I just thought that that was the first thing. Number two, you go 14 to 28 from three, you're going to beat just about anybody. And at the end of the day, the player that Stephen Ashworth was January 17th is not the player that he is now. He's finally figured out what Greg McDermott's asking of him. And it's a direct credit to McDermott and the job he's done. And number three, UConn, over the last two months, has gotten used to punching somebody in the mouth, and they don't <laughs> punch back. They don't punch back. 
because there's a fear factor. The rest of the Big East, with the exception of Creighton, has a fear obstacle to get over. Creighton does not. What's Creighton's record against UConn now in Omaha? 4-0. What's their record against UConn all time? 7-2. So when Connecticut opened the game on a 7-0 run and an 11-3 run, it wasn't stop the fight. The fight was just beginning. And UConn got hit back tonight. They got hit back by a team. It was criminal that they were not in the top 16 reveal from the committee on Saturday. And in terms of bracket implications, you can bet your bottom dollar, Rob, that the Creighton Blue Jays are going to be a top four seed in March Madness. Yeah, that was a that was a win that they I, I don't want to say they absolutely needed it because we're talking about a team that was already a five seed. They were a four seed in our fielding the 68 bracket and everybody knows how good this group is. But I do think that um, it says a lot about who this team is that they can come out here and respond to that. Right. Like I. I we saw some struggles from Creighton earlier in the year. The one that stands out to me is the the Colorado State loss on the neutral floor where they only put up 48 points, where they kind of got down early and they couldn't really figure it out and get it going. Now, a lot of this, I think, has to do with playing in that building, right? When you have 18,000 people, half of them in blue, half of them in white, going absolutely crazy because the number one team in the country is in your building, like there, it's very easy to get the energy from that, and it's very easy to avoid having um, those letdowns. But it's not just playing in their building, right? It's not just because they were. it was a home game for them. Creighton, I thought it was a great game plan. I thought it was fantastic execution. I thought they were the tougher team defensively. They got to all the loose balls. They got a little bit of luck because they were the one to get clinging to foul trouble before Cal Brenner got in foul trouble. And sometimes that's just the way the ball bounces. But I don't – I actually thought – and tell me if you guys think this is crazy. I don't think UConn played horribly, right? Like they struggled oh, to get the you. shots that they wanted in the first half. I thought that defensively they were not as good uh, as we've seen them in the past, but I don't think that they they played 19 points worse than Creighton here. They deserve to lose. Don't get me wrong, but I think this has everything about Creighton what they can be on the nights when they shoot like that. And you know what? When you got Baylor Shireman and you got um, you got Stephen Ashworth and you got Trey Alexander and you got Mason Miller and you got guys together, they they brought in Jason Green off the bench, who was a guy that was hyped up in the offseason. He has taken two threes all year, John. He hasn't made it three all season. He made two tonight, his first two. That, when that happens, that's one of those ones where you're just like, all right, game's over. Let's pack this up. Nobody get injured. I don't want any sprained ankles. Mm-hmm. Nobody hurt your knee. Don't do anything dumb. Don't break your finger. Let's just get out of here uninjured, and we'll, we'll regroup, and we get Villanova and Seton, Seton Hall at home, and if we win both of those, then we're going to win at minimum a share of the Big East title. It's just one of those nights, man. It kind of is what it is. I don't know what you could say about it beyond that. Hey, look, in seven, college basketball is not a seven-game series, unfortunately. If it was, UConn would win the game, win the series, I think win the championship, UConn or Purdue. That's why it's the best sport to me. That's why it's not seven games. One game, you get sent home. I think in a seven-game series, UConn wins 4-1, right? But unfortunately, that's not how it works. And Creighton showed us tonight, anyone can be beat, and I think that's just has been the story of college basketball this year. Rob, we talk about Dan Hurley, and you're right, John. It has been a story of college basketball this year. We talk about UConn, their offensive evolution, philosophically, and then what's happened on the floor. They were a team early on under Hurley. They're just going to win a bar fight over you. They're going to be physical. They're going to get up in you. They're going to defend at a high level. They still do that when they're at their best. They defend at a high level. But, Rob, they've shifted to getting a point guard who can facilitate 
and Tristan Newton can score quite well. And I know you you got into this a little bit on on Newton and how UConn mm-hmm. may need that that scoring ability, which I know you'll get into here. But to me, the way that this program's taken off over the last two years has been their ability to space the floor and have multiple guys where you say, shoot, we can't leave him. And I just thought tonight, Creighton's ability to track the shooters. I mean, Mm -hmm. after the first three and four minutes of the game, have you seen UConn's offense actually get that type of resistance from the other team in the last two months? Not to the level we saw tonight. No, it was, again, credit to what, Creighton did defensively. They had the perfect game plan and they executed it perfectly. Here's here's what I mean by that. On the season, UConn is shooting 41.4% of their field goal attempts from beyond the arc. They took 16 three tonight, 16 threes tonight out of their 59 field goals. Like they they were run off the three-point line. Creighton had a perfect game plan to execute it. They have the perfect roster to be able to do that. Uh, and they it just it worked, right? And they got caught fire offensively. It just kind of is what it is. Um, the point about Newton, though, I think is important because there is going to be a day in the NCAA tournament, in the Big East tournament, where a team is going to be able to do this to UConn, right? We saw Kansas do this to UConn and find a way to be able to take away what they wanted to run offensively. And uh, to have Tristan Newton be able to give you 27 and four assists or give you 31 and six assists like he did at Kansas kind of says to me, when he needs to, he can go out there and take over a game. Now, I would like to see him try to do that a little bit earlier instead of when UConn is down by 20 points in the second half when he sees that it's not really working. But uh, there's going to be a game in the Big Dance or a game in the Big East tournament where UConn needs Tristan Newton to go supernova to have a chance to win. And it's nice to see that he at least has the ability to do that in his arsenal. And I don't know if we necessarily knew that um, before this game. John, do you still believe – in UConn more than anybody in college basketball? Yeah, I do. Um, like I said, I mean, if you look at these blowouts this year, usually they get worse, right? Teams just kind of fold up. Her, Coach Hurley was clapping them up, cheering them up. They kept playing. Cam, Cam Spence kept playing. Trisha Newton was still playing hard, and, and they fought back. And I think that's just a testament to how good this team is. Bad night, it happens, but most teams would have packed it up. Similar to Tennessee tonight, right? Struggled down the stretch, figured it out. You know, that's a sign of a good team. I'm not worried about them at all. I think this is actually perfect for them. This is going to motivate them. They're not going to rest in the lowers. 